Good morning, everyone. How are you today? Anyone have a cold? Yes, a little bit. Who's had a cold this year? Yes, a lot of you. All right, now, if some folk were preaching, they would say that was because of your sin or because you didn't have enough faith. You ever heard that kind of thing said? And uh, unfortunately, that kind of teaching has caused a lot of confusion, a lot of harm, and is really not consistent with what we are taught by the Word of God. And so this morning, some of you may find the message maybe a little different, but that's okay. Listen carefully and pay attention to the Word of God. You remember that in Acts 17, we're told that the Bereans were more honorable. Why? Because they checked the Word of God to see if things that, that were said were true. And so in this area, we uh, have some learning to do. And in Matthew chapter 4, as Jesus began his ministry of preaching the good news, we see that he was also healing every disease and sickness among the people. And for that, we are immensely thankful. Now, some of you may see someone that you recognize in the picture there, and that's me in my Indian garb. And I'm sitting with a man that I'll call Baba, Bishop Baba, whom God has used to uh, establish a ministry now that has, last I heard, was some four million people strong. Of men and women and children who have come to Jesus. And when they gather, they gather in meetings about the size of a football stadium, okay? And this is God at work. And part of the service, and it's a lot longer than our service, okay, is they say, all right, it's testimony time. And hundreds of people come rushing up to the front to share the testimony of what God is doing. Astonishing. Astonishing. And some of us will say, well, we don't see that here. And I'm going to suggest to you that maybe we do, but you're going to have to think a little bit differently about healing and understand what God is at work. By, by the way, this man that I'm calling Bishop Baba, uh, last time I saw him, he was suffering from an incredibly painful back. And he spoke to me and he said, what an irony. <laughs> I'm praying and seeing the Blessing of God, people healing people, and here I am suffering. Okay? And so when we have a teaching that says, well, if you believe enough, well, this man believes enough, I'll tell you. But God saw fit not to heal him, even as he was using him to see the healing of many. This, by the way, is one of the few individuals that I know that definitely has the gift of healing. There are a lot of shysters that you see on television, and they make their money at it. And they've been uncovered. 
This man was investigated by the high court of his country. That'll go unnamed, though I think you can guess the country. Uh, and they had four uh, high-level investigators come, and the report came back that this man was no fraud. In fact, one of the things that happened is that these folk who were investigating him experienced the healing of God. <laughs> and of course, that was not what the government wanted to hear. <laughs> Praise God! But let me say that because God has used him does not mean that he's been spared suffering. Because besides physical ailment, this man is continually being persecuted and has been thrown into jail. Some of you have prayed for him in uh, days gone by because of his being put in jail on false charges with his accusers and oppressors coming from the highest levels of government. Why in the world do we need healing? Well, it really goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Because in Genesis chapter 3, we are told about how the first couple brought sin, brought death into the world. Why? By a simple act of disobedience. Why? Because fundamentally, everything that is wrong with this world comes down to choices that we make, moral choices that we make. And so many of the things that are wrong, we could fix if we simply were abiding by the will of God. For example, your cars have locks upon locks upon locks. You have passwords unimaginable. There are locks on your houses. Why in the world do we have that? Because of sin, right? That's the truth. So many things would be so much simpler if we acknowledge that it is not a matter of knowledge, it is not a matter of wealth, it is a matter of our will which has been corrupted, in which we are no longer in relationship with God. You see, the first couple were told, in the day that you sin, that you disobey, you will surely die. You see, you all know that, right? So you can go home now. You don't need to listen anymore, okay? And for those of you who just woke up from a nap, well, God, go back to sleep. <laughs> Enjoy it. It might be healing. <laughs> but we know that death is essentially separation or alienation. And our relationship to life has been broken. Yes, physical death was introduced. That's true in which death and disease and all its consequences, which sometimes takes precedence in our thinking before all things. And yet we know that it is not physical health alone which makes life worth living. The second consequence that we see is death of relationship. So what happened to Adam and Eve and their relationship? Suddenly they had to hide. Not only from God, but from each other. And we know that that continues to be one of the biggest obstacles in our relationships today. Our inability, our fear of being honest with each other, just in case that the other party might use it to take advantage, right? That's the reality. 
And so we know that relationships are broken all over the place. Have you listened to our politicians? The campaigning? Oh, Lord, help us. Wouldn't you love to hear a politician say, uh, I want you to know that if I hear another party have a good policy, I'm going to adopt that policy, right? Or say, I made a mistake. Wouldn't that be great? And what do we have instead? Lies, arguments, rivalry, and so on. But it isn't just our politicians. How would getting to church work out this morning in your family? <laughs> Don't ask. <laughs> and of course, environmentally, we know that as a consequence, the ground was cursed. Not because God actively decided to make it difficult, but that is simply a consequence of their action. And we know that of all the creatures on the earth, who has caused the most devastation of this globe? We have. Now, we might not like some of the, the ideas that are put out there, but we know it's a reality. We've seen fields that have been eroded to nothing because of the foolish way in which we may have farmed, you see? The ground is cursed. It is essentially a moral problem. And spiritually, dead towards God, so that the Creator Himself becomes a stranger. And we abandon His ways, and we say, who says this? We are actually repeating the very lies that the serpent told in the first place. Death is a reality. And as Ernest so clearly pointed out, what's the death rate in Huron County? 100%. You and I are going to die, so stop pretending that you're going to live forever. You will, but only through Jesus Christ. Amen? Yeah. You still with me? Does this sound right to you? Yeah, it does. All right. But even in the midst of this great tragedy in Genesis chapter 3, there is something that's called the Proto-Evangelium, that is the uh, gospel before the giving of the gospel, and it's in verse 15 in which we read, And I, that is God, will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. And the offspring of the woman is us all and specifically Jesus, and he, Jesus, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. These are the words of God in judgment upon the serpent. And we understand that the serpent indeed has had tremendous impact on our world, and so we read from Hebrews again, that since the children have flesh and blood, he, Jesus, too shared in their humanity, our humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him, that is, the enemy, who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were helped in slavery by their fear of death. Praise God, we do not need to be afraid of death. And so we see that the coming of Jesus is really the fulfillment of this very promise that was made right at the beginning. And so we've read from Matthew chapter 4, in which Jesus does healing work and other miracles as signs 
to authenticate his preaching about the kingdom of God. That the reign of God is really here. Let's understand that while the providential care of God is there throughout history, and we will discover when the veil is pulled back how manifest it was throughout all of time, but we see in biblical history that it is in the time of Moses. The children of Israel have been in Egypt. How long? 430 years. How good is your memory? Do you remember what happened 430 years ago? And you see, they were losing a sense of who the real God is, you see. And that's why God put his seal on the work of Moses in such an extraordinary way. And then the other great challenge in the face of paganism and polytheism was in the time of Elijah and Elisha. And God manifests himself again in extraordinary ways. These were signs. We'll have a verse that the Lord Jesus says something about this time. And then, of course, the greatest manifestation of miracles was in the time of Jesus, in which this seals who he is and his announcement that we ought to turn, repent, because the kingdom of God is here. So we have in John chapter 9 the story of the man born blind whom Jesus heals. And the Pharisees can't understand how this thing can happen, especially when they discover that it's Jesus who's involved. And so they say things like, how can a sinner, that's Jesus in their view, do such miraculous signs? Good question! And the man who is pestered again by the Pharisees answers, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. Oh, his theology is pretty good there. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. So when we think that these are primitive thinkers, don't really understand the nature of the world, look at these words, friends. We see that these folk understood the way reality functions, right? And so what Jesus was doing was truly exceptional. It is a sign. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And of course, in John chapter 11, then we read, about Lazarus rising from the dead. Did that settle everything? No! Because there as well, you had those who rather than, than, than decide to follow him, what did they decide? That they're going to conspire to put him to death. So let's understand the purpose of miracles. It is not to fix you. Okay? That may sound harsh or unfeeling, but let's understand that there are larger purposes. And praise God, there is coming a day when finally we will experience the complete healing of God. But the miracles, first of all, establish that Jesus is from God. This is the authentication of who Jesus is, you see? And they are also an invitation to move forward in faith. Alone they proved nothing. There were countless crowds who followed Jesus because he turned 
what? A few loaves and a few fishes into enough to feel, feed, feed a multitude. But Jesus continually reminds them, look, don't look at this. You're following me because you're getting bread. Rather, look and understand that as he said in responding to the devil during his temptation, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And there are signs that God is keeping his promise because throughout Scripture we see the promise of God that God is bringing a day when the King, the Messiah, will do extraordinary things. And so we have what we have in uh, Isaiah, in which we have these words, in, in which we also have the uh, like words that are echoed in the announcement to John the Baptist when he is in prison and doubting whether or not his life, his preaching, has been for naught. And Jesus replies to the messengers from John who is in jail, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. This is the ministry of Jesus. They are signs that God is keeping his promise. They are also the first fruits of God's complete reversal of the fall. What happened in Genesis chapter 3, we know in the book of Revelation, is completely reversed. Praise God! I'm really thankful that I will have a resurrection body. How about you? And the older I get, the more thankful I am. By the way, did you see in, in that abundance video? Everybody seemed to have gray hair. You folk who don't have gray hair, remember... It's a good idea for you to make your will and your arrangements now. Now, these also encourage us on our journey through life. And so those days in which I feel so well, in which I am so aware of the blessing of God, those help me to keep going. Don't they help you? Yeah. But we know that indeed, we are wasting away, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The funny thing is that as I'm wasting away, I seem to need to wear bigger clothes, so <laughs> go figure. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, they remind us that every good gift comes from God. Every good gift. And there are noteworthy moments of God's grace that remind us that God is active every moment. And sometimes we are aware of it and sometimes we're not. You know when you have a close call, that reminds you of how much you depend on God. When I was in West Africa some uh, 30 years ago, I was riding a moped. You know what that is? a thing that is kind of like a pretend motorcycle, which doesn't go all that fast, and you have to pedal sometimes to actually help you when you're going uphill. And uh, anyway, I was traveling along a nice paved route in the country of Dahomey, as it was then, Benin, in the capital city of, of Cotonou. And um, a car came racing up behind me, 
and clipped the brake handle off the right side because I was making a left-hand turn. Now, if you know what the, how close the distance is or how small the distance is between the actual handlebar and the brake handle, you will know that that was a close call. And somehow I was spared. That thing was just sheared off. And I thought, praise God. And then I said, thank you, Lord. You are always looking after me. And he is. But let's also remember that these are not permanent fixes. So we're thankful for them, but they point us towards the time when there is a permanent fix. But they're not. We're all going to get sick. And Pastor Ernest, what's the death rate again in Huron County? 100%. Does that mean me too? I'm afraid so. Yay. Yeah. So let's understand these as clear purposes for miracles. You might say, well, that's not why I'm interested in miracles. I'm just sick and I want to get better. Okay? But if that's all you want, that's not enough. It is not enough. And in fact, you may be disappointed. So why don't we see miracles all the time? In the time of Jesus, of course, we read that every person was healed. We don't see that now. But we also didn't see it then. And so you'll see the Lord Jesus teaching in which he is speaking and teaching to the uh, teachers of the law. And he says, I tell you the truth. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. Okay, do you get to understand where this is going? But to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sion. In other words, God didn't simply intervene and cancel the famine. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in that, the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Huh. So if you've got a simple theology that says because you follow Jesus that you will be healed, you will be disappointed. It is not that way. And in fact, that kind of teaching has discouraged many, many folk. I remember sitting at a funeral with one of our longtime missionaries who lost their son. And many people came up and said, uh, God's going to heal your son, God's going to heal your son. The son was not healed. And talk about the bitterness and disappointment potential that was there. Praise God that they had enough maturity to understand that those who talk in those terms are talking too simply. There is a mystery to the ways of God. And we need to understand that miracles serve a greater purpose as they did in these examples that are mentioned by Jesus here and point to our ultimate deliverance. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what will I do? Good song with a good reminder. Thank God that God does show mercy 
and continues to give us signs of his goodness. And the ministry that I was talking about, a Bishop Baba, and there he is. Do you see him, Papa Schmurf? Not me, on, uh, in the picture. You have thousands upon thousands of people who gather not only in this place, but scattered in what I call house churches or village churches throughout the land and beyond. And they come because they are living in a land where, for example, if you have diabetes, there's no insulin. What are you going to do? You're going to pray. You're going to say, Lord, have mercy. You see, when we have no bread, we pray for manna from heaven. Amen? And I can tell you my stories from my own life, but I'll just continue here. And I can tell you that there are, at the end of the service, thousands who come. Very, very simple folk in many cases who come with severe diseases because they have nothing. They have none of the things that we take for granted in our society. And let's understand what's actually happening. We know that without water, the earth dies, right? And we know that water gives life. And we need to ask ourselves the question, though. Does it matter if water comes from the ground or from the sky? What do you think, farmers? Does it matter? Not at all. But you see, when we are standing before God and asking for him to do a particular uh, miracle, it is like waiting for the rain to come. Okay? But how much rain do you need if there's already water on reserve in the ground? In fact, you would prefer it not to rain then, right? And so we need to understand what God has already done in our culture, in our civilization over the last 2,000 years. It is quite extraordinary what has happened. And so we see that what God has done is through the gospel to have actually embedded in our culture the healing of Jesus. What we call modern medicine, do you know where that comes from? Do you know where hospitals come from? That all comes from our God, from the promises of Jesus. So the eradication of some terrible plagues have happened. Why? Specifically because of what God has done in places where the gospel has been preached and where it has had an impact as salt and light. And so rather than waiting for a raindrop from heaven, we have the deep reserves that God has built into our very culture, our very society. So when you go to the hospital, thank God that he has seen fit to do that. Because modern medicine is a gift from God that we see very clearly related to where the gospel has been preached and where the scriptures have been believed. And they are consistent with the promise of God through Jesus. Our health care is deeply rooted in a biblical ethic. I'll tell you the story of a Muslim nation. Again, I won't mention the nation because it is a place where we still have people who are sharing the good news of God carefully, because it is a life and death issue with them. 
but uh, through a, a uh, uh, NGO. You know what an NGO is? Non-governmental uh, organization. Workers are there who love Jesus. They share the, the gospel through their personal testimony in their walk, but they are assigned, depending on their skills, to different uh, locations. And so I'll tell you about a believer from England who is assigned within a hospital to work in palliative care. And palliative care in this nation, where the nation is decidedly not Christian, it was horrible. Their idea of palliative care is give them some uh, food and some water and leave them. And that was the nature of the care. And so what this believer did was taught these nurses one at a time and took them by the hand and showed them how to care for people who are dying. We take that for granted here. But friends, this is not the way of the world. It is because we have this extraordinary teaching from Jesus. Love what? Your neighbor as yourself. And beyond that, love your enemies. Let me assure you that this is a distinctive ethic that you will not find anywhere else. Now, we don't have time to tell a lot of stories, and there's a lot more about God's healing that I'm not going to talk about today. But we know that our present reality is we are all going to die. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Praise God. Amen? A little bit louder. Come on. You should be happy because, man, if you die outside of Christ, it is a pretty miserable choice you've made, okay? And so we're reminded that we are indeed sown perishable, but we will be raised imperishable. I'm looking forward to that. How about you, John? Uh, I sure am. Why? Yeah, we'll have fun together. Okay. You didn't sound very convincing. <laughs> But let's understand that we have the promise of complete deliverance, of the complete reversal. And so we read in Revelation chapter 21 about the new heaven and the new earth. And we have this wonderful, wonderful declaration. Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Do you understand? It's being with God in a way that we cannot experience here. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning of or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Aren't you looking forward to that? I sure am. But we are on a journey, friends, through this life to go home. And our home is not here. And so Paul can say in Philippians, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Can you say that? If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean 
will mean fruitful labor for me, yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ. And there are some days when that seems like really the much, much more pleasant choice. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Paul was aware that his life counted for something and that he had a work to do in representing his Lord, as you and I do. We all have something. You might say, I'm not the Apostle Paul. Not the point. We all have something that God wants to do. And it may be through your very suffering that God will choose to use you to bless somebody else, to bring comfort to someone else. So we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So, should we look for healing? Yes, we should. Will we see the many, many manifestations the way that it is in some countries where they have absolutely no other recourse except to look to God from heaven? I'll tell you, I prayed for the food of the buffalo <laughs> because the buffalo was off its feed. <laughs> I prayed for people who've uh, not had insulin to treat their diabetes, and you can go on down the list. And I've seen God answer in remarkable ways, but I've also seen where God has not seen fit to answer in those cases. In the case of Bishop Baba, his, his ministry also includes a hospital, recognizing that God does not always work through that direct intervention, through the rainfall from heaven. And he has recourse to what we call Western modern medicine. But let's deal with our attitude as we come to pray. We learn it from Jesus. Our goal is to be like Jesus in our attitudes, behaviors, and character. Right, Jason? <laughs> Correct, you got it. And so we read that in the garden that Jesus went a little further. He fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him because he knew that his arrest and trial and crucifixion were coming. And so he prayed, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you will. And so when we come to the Lord, we come out of a relationship. Because when we understand that relationship, it will be a lot easier for us to understand and embrace what he has to say. And we have to trust him no matter what. Do I always like what God chooses to answer me? I do not. And in fact, in this particular case, we know that the answer was a big no. Because Jesus did go to the cross and praise God that it was for your sake and my sake that he went. Nevertheless, we make the ask. We ask, Lord, uh, this is what I want. This is what I want. Be honest. There's no fooling God. But then I need to say, not what I want, but what you want. And that's the surrender. I often ask people when they ask for prayer, for healing or anything else, do I trust you enough not to be healed? You see, that's the real test. Some of you will know the name of Catherine Marshall she was wed to Peter Marshall, a very, very prominent uh, Presbyterian minister in the last century. He became the chaplain of the U.S. Senate. 
His sermons were widely read, and some of you may know the name. You may have seen the movie A Man Called Peter. You may be familiar with Catherine Marshall's book, Something More. But she was laid in sickbed for months and months and months with tuberculosis. And nothing, nothing, nothing seemed to work. Until the day that she said, Lord, if you want me to be sick, I'm willing to embrace your will. And you know what God did? It was that day that something happened and she was released from that sickness. And so this is a really important question for you and for me, not only in the area of healing, but in everything. Am I going to trust you enough? And so I hope that you'll come for prayer here or when you speak to someone else or when you're praying on your own and that you say, Lord, I trust you not to be healed. When I was in Hamilton, we had a particular lady who had suffered with one form of cancer after another. For 12 years, she was on dialysis at that point. And the Lord never delivered her from cancer. It always seemed to come back in some form. But what he gave her was divine health, not divine healing, if you know what the difference is. But when I invited folk to come forward for healing, I asked them this question, even though Miss Merlene was not healed of her cancer, she said, God did something within me that released me and gave me a fresh joy. Friends, this is why it's important to put ourselves in the hands of the living God. And so I ask, what now? What is God saying to you right now? Will you recognize that all healing is from God? That all healing is temporary? And that healing points us to our relationship with God and to our eternal destiny? As the Lord said to Martha, the sister of Lazarus, who is dead four days. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asks this question to Martha, do you believe this? And so I ask you that question in the name of Jesus. Do you believe this? Will you receive what God has for you? Let me encourage you to keep asking in simplicity and sincerity for yourself, for others. It is important that we pray. Thank you, Ernest, for leading us so well in prayer this morning. What do you think? Wasn't that good to pray together? It was. And of course, in James, we are encouraged to have the elders pray over us. But understand, there is a confession attached to this. In other words, we need to be honest with God. Don't cover it up. Just be honest with God and let God have his way in your life. And I ask again, are you willing not to be healed for the glory of God? Come, we'll pray together. After our meeting, you'll be dismissed. We'll sing a song, we'll be dismissed. And there are those who will be standing up front willing to pray. If you want to pull someone else in to pray, Ask someone, 
Ask me, ask one of the elders. Ask a brother or sister that you know and trust to pray with you. But pray, ask, ask. And ask like Jesus, because this is about following Jesus, even in this area. What do you think? Are you good to go there? Let's pray. Our Father, we're thankful indeed that you are the God who is the healer and redeemer. And we know that all healing is from you. But Lord, that healing may indeed come through what we think of as modern medicine. It may come through the resilience that you have built into our bodies. But Lord, it will come and it is a gift from you. It is a mercy from you. And we're thankful that someday, finally, the impact of the curse will be completely reversed and there will be no more tears and no more sorrows. And so we have trust in you from the only one who has come back from the dead, the one who could say, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And he who believes in me will live even though he dies. And so when we read the question put to Martha by the Lord, do you believe this? We say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, we will trust you. We will trust you. And Lord, I know that some of us are in very, very difficult places even now. Places that none of us would choose to be. But we want to agree together with them and we will ask in their behalf, Pastor Ernest lifted, listed a number of names. We know that there are others. There are many needs. But we ask in simplicity as your children, and we trust you to do all things well. So we pray this in the wonderful, beautiful, eternal name of our great high priest, the Lord Jesus. Amen.